0: Hey, Modern Explorers, you're listening to Midland in Our Own Words, a bi monthly podcast uncovering Midland County's history as told by you, our community, and listeners. Each podcast will introduce never before heard stories and tales through personal testimonials and memories passed down through generations. Subscribe to our podcast today to further discover the history of Midland County and send us a note if you have a story you'd like to share. This podcast is part of the Midland County Historical Society's Oral History Project. For more information, please visit midlandcenter.org backslash oral history.
1: Hi, everyone. My name is Ethel Foridarco, and I'm here on behalf of Anti-Racist Midland, otherwise known as ARM. ARM was built in June 2020, and we look to analyze the issues that exist in preventing Midland citizens of color from experiencing Midland to its full potential. At the end of the day, we're a bunch of young people hoping to find opportunities for reform while educating the greater Midland community. Our vision is for the Midland community to develop into a vibrant community in which all individuals, regardless of race, can prosper, engage, and receive support in the community. And we also hope for Midland to be really thoughtful on how we improve the community experience for all current and future residents. All right, so my name is Alfa Foydarko, and today is December 18th, 2020, um, I'm John- interviewing Jonathan Hayes as a part of the Anti-Racist Midland Oral History Project and the Midland Com- uh, County Historical Society Oral History Project. Uh, we are speaking um, virtually here on Zoom. Um, I'm located in Boston, Massachusetts, and Jonathan is in Midland, Michigan now. And uh, the purpose of this interview is to learn more about Midland's uh, racial history and to understand the ways in which race has affected everyday life for its black community members. The goal of this project is to create a learning platform so that our community can understand our complex past uh, and how it informs our present and additionally how we can work to get uh, better together to, for the future. All right, so to start off, we're gonna ask, I'm just gonna ask you some biographical questions. Um, and so what is your current place of residence?
0: Uh, my current place of residence is in Washington, D.C.
1: And um, how many years have you lived in Midland? Or did you live in Midland, excuse me?
0: I lived in Midland, Midland was my full-time residence for 21 years.
1: All right, so we're just gonna jump in, those for all the biographical questions. Um, so first question, is how would you describe the culture of Midland? Starting out
0: yeah. bold. <laughs> yeah. The culture of Midland, uh, I would say it's it's kind of unique in the sense that it's kind of like a suburb, but there's no real big metropolitan area nearby. Uh, so it's like, a, it's like a rural suburb of, of some sort. I think the culture has some elements that are stereotypical of a company town of course, with with Dow Chemical here, and so there is a culture of I think of influx of new people and highly educated people, uh, but there are also uh, and some people who come from all across the all across the world really, uh, but there also is a complement like a that that mixes with people who have been born here and have lived here for generations. Uh, okay. So I think the culture is just very unique because you have a lot of this um, almost international mindset and global mindset mixing with um, one that is really, really community focused and community based. Um, and that can, I think that can, it has a lot of benefits and a lot of, a lot of detriments as well. I think that one brings out a lot of ignorance that's based in the community, but also brings out a lot of open-mindedness and community. So I feel like um, the one might say that the, the culture of Maryland is a contradiction, but really I think it's just, uh, I don't know. It's it's like a it's a mixed stew of different experiences and and, and cultures and uh, lifestyles. I think so. I think it's, it's very unique. Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a good way to put it. Um, and so, kind of going with that. So I know it's Midland is you know it's one of a kind. And now that you've you've left a little bit too, how is your your kind of. Um, well, first let me ask, what was kind of the racial makeup of your social circle in Midland? And then set following that up with how has that evolved or changed um, since going to school and then now uh, relocating to DC?
0: Yeah, growing up, I was more often not the only black person in my social circle. I think a lot of that was because um, I ended up in a lot of advanced classes where structurally, there are, are, are across the country, there's, there's less black people and less diversity, people of color. Um, not that I think that that's more of a structural education problem than anything, uh, but that that manifested in me being the often the singular black person in a lot of my social groups all throughout um, all throughout my my time in Midland, and that was that came with a lot of very unique experience as well, a lot of bullying and in, in many senses all throughout my time here, but also it was an opportunity to advance myself in some capacity and stand out in some ways. I mm-hmm as I may not have otherwise, it's kind of similar to the culture of Midland there's a lot of good with a lot of bad. And then when I went to school, when I went off to university, that changed a lot. (laughs) My social social circle became a lot more Black and a lot more diverse from many aspects, socioeconomic, gender, sexual orientation, uh, whereas that wasn't the case in, in Midland, but primarily from a race perspective, that changed a lot and made me reflect a lot on my experience in Midland. And be able to label a lot of the stuff I went through, like understand what I went through was bullying, a form of bullying and harassment. Now I'm living, living in DC, uh, living in a majority of black city. And after my experience at, at Princeton, it, it, it's very, I can, it'd be very hard for me to imagine a world in which I do not, I live in a place that is not, does not have a significant black population. One for my own self edification and, and growth, but also if I have to type a family have to be rooted in some sense of, of, of comfort in a, a black community.
1: Yeah, I really resonate with that. I think um, one thing I've always considered, like, in my experience in Midlands, being that um, that big fish in a small pond, and I think I was able to do that almost because of my race. I think I made, especially, I transferred from Saginaw to Midland School, so I did, I mean, I knew people through, ac- like, extracurriculars and things like that, but I didn't really know when I started at Dow, um, and so I think Kofi and I being, you know, those two Black kids that, like, didn't fit the stereotype of like what Midland wanted this black person to be kind of made us stand out and we were able to run with that a little bit and work it to my advantage, not going to lie. Um, so for better or for worse, it had its perks, It also obviously came with a lot and of
0: it. It, That kind of stuff, it's definitely real and it's true, but I think it comes with a cost. And the cost, I think, is something mm-hmm. that it seems it seems low at the time, but I think, at least for me, coming throughout my time leaving Midland and coming back and reflecting on it, that cost you pay that cost yeah. for a long time after you leave with them as well because you kind of feel i feel like you, you sell part of yourself in some sense yeah uh, to try to fight come back to a sense of homelessness itself it's, it becomes the way, yeah for sure
1: definitely so i want to dig more action into the school um concept just a little bit more um so just in general um going through i know i think at, what point did you start to see race um, as a concept? I, th- I think it's a very broad question and it comes at, you know, you see it in various times of your life, but maybe specifically in MPS. When did you first start to see it?
0: I think I first started to understand that people viewed me differently in elementary school. People would give me a nickname Black Sheep and rub my head and often just give me nicknames that are solely based on, on, on my race. And I don't think at the time I, I knew it was about race, but I, I, would, I didn't understand the, the, the whole structural and societal concept of race and racism. But I knew that I was looked at differently, primarily through my skin. But it wasn't really until, honestly, I would say eighth grade in which I understood on a larger scale the issues that were at play and the forces, the like genuine evil forces that were at work. And that was when um, I remember very vividly uh substitute teacher was, uh, was showing us the movie, Glory, which shows uh, African-Americans, black soldiers in the American Revolutionary War. And then one of the major plot points, uh, one of the, the generals feels threatened by one of the black soldiers or black generals and almost shoots him and there's a moment of tension. And the substitute teacher paused the movie and asked the class, what would you have done in this situation if you were, presumably if you were the, the white general? And no one answered. It was an odd question in the middle of a really tense part of the moment in the movie, where he hadn't yet made the decision. And the substitute teacher, in the absence of anyone answering, said, "I would have shot him," and kept just press play. And then, in that moment, I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is kind of similar." One like those comments I've heard in my in my peers, but hearing it from someone an adult, a responsible adult, who's supposed to be in uh, guardian of the, the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, I realized more so that this was a really a much deeper issue than my own experience and goes beyond me and extends to this idea of what's going on in society and in our own community, really, uh, this mindset and ignorance that happens. And so I think that's when, uh, from there on out, that became a, a big priority to me and something I was, for me, and something I always pay attention to. And once that kind of came to mind, I couldn't stop seeing it within in public schools. Yeah. And really from that moment on, every year there was another experience where I said, okay, wow, this is what this looks like. Be able to label it and see the way it, it works in very insidious ways.
1: And did you ever feel consider transferring to another school district? Do your parents, was that something your parents had ever considered or you and your family?
0: Not seriously, I mean, well, for me and my siblings, so I have a siblings who are, we are all uh, within the same age range within four years, all three of us together. And so growing up, that was never really a consideration because well, my parents work here in Midland and we didn't know too much about Saginaw Public Schools and definitely weren't, basically schools wasn't in the consideration as well, mm-hmm. districts. but at one point my, when my little brother was born, I think I was in middle school or by the time he, he came of age to go to school, he my, my parents placed him in Saginaw Public Schools uh, mm-hmm. because of the experiences that we had. And I think by the time I, I graduated, my mom, I remember her breaking down and crying and really apologizing to me, my siblings as, as we, because I mean, a lot of times growing up, a lot of the, the things that happened to us at an individual level and the things that, that cost that the selling of ourselves happened in private. And that was a, mm-hmm. a personal calculation that we all took. And I don't think one, we had the language to communicate that to our parents. And two, I don't know if we are even willing to admit that to ourselves. Yeah. Uh, but by the time we, we grew up in, started to develop and find some of that language and find ourselves a little bit and start to talk about it a little bit with our parents. That was that was a lot for them to kind of handle and my mom broke down crying, uh, yeah. she apologized. She said that was one of the biggest mistakes that she could have made and one of the biggest regrets was bringing us to Midland, uh, especially uh, having my parents growing up in Detroit public schools. And the troubles uh, were a little bit different. The struggles were a little bit different. So I don't think they fully appreciated until we communicated the cost that comes with growing up in a majority white environment and true to growing up in a majority white environment that is midland and has these deep ties of white supremacy racism in the community itself and within midland public schools
1: yeah no it's interesting you say that too because i know um you know at least my parents as well my older brother went through Saginaw public schools until um through high school as well and graduated from sagan public schools and um, kofi and i ended up coming to midland public schools and it was a a pretty intense conversation I think in terms of my parents warning if had they failed us by bringing us to Midland. Um, you know, we were exposed to you know, I paid I played college through high school and, you know, in hopes of, you know, playing in college and tennis or excuse me, tennis in college, um, which happened, but I wouldn't have had the opportunity in Saginaw too. So there were various pros and cons of both sides, but I think my parents really, really reflected and I think it's something still to this day that I think about, um, you know, did we fail our kids by bringing them to Midland public school? And yeah, I think first, that,
0: actually, is that something you have you guys have since talked about?
1: honestly not recently um it's been more of just kind of like a not specifically midland public schools but just more of like a private education versus public education conversation um because we had talked about boarding school and things like that um in eighth grade and things like that but it didn't feel right at the time but so we've talked more about that but not specifically midland versus Saginaw that dynamic which we had talked about earlier but yeah it'd be interesting to bring it up now again too
0: yeah do do you ever wonder if you would be in the same position now if you
1: not a hundred percent I would not be. I'd have been a very different and I it depends. So I think if I had gone the boarding school route, I think I would actually be in a similar ish position. I think that I don't wanna bring up Midland as an elitist circle, but that kind of elitist circle that kind of transcends into the East Coast as well, that would probably have landed me in a similar position. But had I gone this I public schools route, I don't think I actually would be where I am right now. I would be in a very different place. Not for better or for worse, but just I would be somewhere different.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think? Sorry, real quick. Do you think you'd have a greater sense of self? I don't, not to say that you, I don't think that you don't have a sense of self. You experience.
1: Um, I don't know. I think so. I'll be honest. I don't think I reflected well on the race topics that happened to me in Midland until this summer. I really don't think I did. And then also, Tophs was a PWI as well. And you know, yes, I you know did surround myself by more students of color and. But at the end of the day, I was on a tennis team, which was primarily white. Um, you know, there were a few other, um, you know, uh, team members of color that I had, but there was not another black team member until my junior year. By that point, I had finished. I was done with the tennis team at the end of my junior year as well, too. So I had one year with a black teammate. But then I think the race conversations occurred more frequently, but I didn't reflect on them as something that, on, like in my own personal experiences, really until this past summer when you know the racial awakening kind of happened. And then I think that was the first time it really, really did hit me, and kind of I was just really thinking about Midland and the experiences I had in Midland, and I, I think it was the first time I really, really thought about it. And like you said, um you know, you noticed race in the early, and early on in bunchy school in eighth grade, but it's something I hadn't just because I, you know, I went to school in Saginaw, I was surrounded by other Black classmates. Like, I mean, almost everyone looked like me, you know, and if it wasn't in my closest circle of friends, um, you know, it's I there was not. As, single white person in my group of friends. Um, it was, you know, there were, you know, it was Indian, Pakistanis, um, other black people, but there was no one that was white in my friend group. So I think I was almost in a bubble in that way, that like I was in that kind of racial bubble that, you know, it was also, I was mixed with kids from high socioeconomic classes, low socioeconomic classes, and I we were able to intermix really, really well. And so I'd never really noticed those disparities um, just because Hanley and Sasa kind of put me in a very, distinct place i guess in the academic world but obviously coming to dow i saw a lot more but then i think i really really didn't comprehend it until you know this until i really sat down and reflected about it this past summer sounds
0: yeah, really interesting yeah. i don't think i really appreciate that you and your brother came from you kind of had a whiplash from uh, very inter- integrated and uh yeah people from right backgrounds and coming from yeah. to, to midland like yeah, we
1: hated it at first. We like, want, we begged our parents to go back. We hated it at first. Um, I can imagine. Like, yeah. I, yeah. I, was, I remember I cried like the first week of like high school. I was like, I want to go back to Saginaw Folk Schools. So I was like, I can't do this. Then like, it worked out. But, you know, at the time I was just like, what did I just myself into? And now when I look back at it, it wasn't just, I was complaining about the size of the school and things like that. But now that I think about it, it was more of like, there was just unfamiliarity. Like, no one looked like me. And that's probably, you know, breed into part of the reason why I didn't like it yeah so into yeah. yeah. so we to curriculum too with school kind of what was your um again pretty broad, but here we can we can slim it down too but just overall your impressions on curriculum and what was included what was not included you know just in terms of bias if you think there was any in the curriculum where it existed and kind of just your, your maybe you know your classmates reactions to the curriculum that was being presented to you
0: yeah i mean i think i don't think midland's very special in this this is oh a wider issue with education at large, which, which is why it's, I think our work with in the public schools through ARM is so important to address the bias at every level throughout, um, throughout the curriculum, especially when it comes to history and, and English and, and, and things that we put importance on, emphasis on, whether it's learning about the way America was discovered and it's indigenous people or about reconstruction and slavery I, I feel like I'm still learning and relearning a lot of these things and, and what really occurred from a more factual perspective, or at least from a, a different perspective that wasn't written by the, the people, the conquerors and the, uh, the, the murderers, of the genocide of American people, uh, Native American people especially. Even learning about, I remember in high school learning about the civil rights movement and, and such, and I think my, my teacher did a relatively good job compared to others which I had in which he touched on some of the nuances of Martin King uh, and and Malcolm X and a little bit on the Black Panthers. Uh, But once again, that was an advanced class. And I don't think that was extended to other people within my grade and other levels of history. And two, it still was a couple weeks week unit over uh, something that just an integral part of American history and 20th century of American history and didn't really expand beyond that, but beyond that in the sense of what happened since and the legacies of that and what led up to that moment uh, really at the at the core of it. I think that's something to be honest, and I say it's not unique to 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 in the public schools because I think it's something as a society we're really still grappling with what are these histories and what are we telling ourselves? What have we been told? Um, so I don't think it was, it was exceptionally bad in that, but I don't think it was it was it definitely was not on a on a good track. Uh,
1: yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And in terms of, uh, like diversity within like Midland Public School staff, what were your experiences? Did you have any teachers of color, um, or, you know, what was the racial makeup of people that you felt like were, you know, people you could look to for help?
0: Yeah. I had one, te- one black teacher and the only, it's the only, um, teacher that non-white teacher I, I've ever had, I think, uh, and that was in middle school. And, she, and that, that relationship was a little bit different because of the few Black people in Midland. She was actually one of the, the, the first Black people that my parents met when they came here before I was born. And so I had known her for all of my life growing up. And then just happened to have been in mm-hmm. her, her classroom in mm-hmm. um, seventh grade. And so that there was an extra level of comfort, of personal comfort, just because that's someone who had been a, a, an adult figure in my life since I've been a child and now she's my teacher. Um, but, so that, that made it a little more complicated. But outside of that, I didn't have any other teachers of color. Uh, and there was one other teacher of color or black teacher at, in the high school, uh, Mr. Chapman, but I never had him uh, as, a, as a teacher. But definitely, the, the absence was definitely felt. One, when it comes to curriculum, the way things are portrayed, whether it's my one English teacher reading Huck fan and not really going to, to the depth of what the N word was and, and really the kind of the, the more racial nuances. Of of the book and the story, whether to economics and uh, the way government functions and things like that, and I think the absence is definitely is definitely felt. Uh, and I wish there were more. One, just to see people in authority, figures of places of authority, that are respected by uh, the other people and my, by my peers, uh, mm-hmm. and then to just have that added a level of comfort of validation, really, that uh, I wasn't the only person in the room. I remember one example in which I really felt the absence was. Uh, when I think it was, I think it was senior year, um, in which a, another student of mine, in the middle of class, in the middle of math class, decided to talk about racism and say racism didn't exist and that they didn't see me getting hosed down or eaten by or bitten by German shepherds and therefore it was not a big deal and Obama fixed racism and so on and so forth. In a way that was really singled at me and attacking me and, and singling me out for saying why are you so active and talking about these issues when it's not a part of your life. And I remember everyone, the whole class was looking at me, including my teacher, waiting for my response. And I, it was up to me to diffuse that situation. And I, I uh, probably more so due to my personality and, and maybe the, the lack of confidence I had then kind of just said, you know what, man, I'm not having this conversation with you. And then the class proceeded as normally. But the teacher never once addressed the class, never once asked the student to, to stop talking or even came up to me afterwards. Uh, and so that's those moments in which I really felt alone. Are, are the moments in which I really appreciate being someone else, especially the teacher being in the room. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, makes sense. And yeah, so saying that too as, as well into the extracurricular kind of our volunteering sphere as well, were there, what were your experiences like there? Did you find up in any type of leadership in, you know, like extracurricular um, activities or what was your experience with that as well?
0: Yeah, no, not really. Um, extracurriculars, I mean, I, 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 I played tennis uh, throughout my time in midland high school and i remember I don't, I don't think i honestly don't think the coach even heard this or even brought it to attention but every time we go on the bus or something people would uh, tell me joke joke and tell me to go to the back of the bus so that they gave me a name uh dark wizard which had nothing to do with any sort of magic or anything uh just to do with my complexion and the coach definitely heard that, but I don't think anyone made even made the connection. Either, either they didn't make the connection or they willfully ignored it. Uh, so I didn't really feel like I had any allies throughout any of my time at the schools. schools. Uh, it was almost, it was entirely <laughs> me, myself, diffusing situations, picking my battles and uh, going when it was beyond my, my reach, the times I did feel like it was, uh, beyond what I could do to rectify the situation, then I would go to authorities. So then I think it made it seem like the problem wasn't as big of a problem, but more mm-hmm. of situations. But it was really just persistent in every circle I was in at school, uh, yeah. constantly being felt.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't. I mean, I didn't have the experience, but did you ever have? Like, were there any type of like working group like, experience with, um, with other students of color, not necessarily just black students, because I know that was like a limited number, but. Um, were there any type of kind of racial conversations happening with amongst students of
0: color? When, right around, around the time I was getting ready to graduate, I tried to get a group of Black students to at out of middle of high school because I started to realize that a lot of the people who were expelled or didn't finish high school were Black. And I had a feeling it was disproportionate. Never really got hands-on data, but at least wanted to talk have that conversation with some of my peers. A lot of, a lot of them being from a uh, mixed race background or um, relatively new to district or to the middle and public schools. So maybe the the experience were different, which I think was important. Mm -hmm. And we came together, realized that we had a lot of of common experiences. And then, so we asked to have a meeting with the administration who said, hey, these are things that we experience as seniors leaving the public schools and even middle high. And this is something you should definitely address if you're ever really going to fix these issues. And some of those issues we brought up were having more teachers of color, black teachers, and so, so kind of similar demands that are made this, this summer, but the administration at the time was like, okay, yes, this is really good. Thank you for taking the time to sit down with us. Congrats on graduating, we'll see you later. And that was it, very much of out the door conversation, almost like an exit interview, but I don't, I, not to acknowledge it didn't really go anywhere. So we, and, and maybe that was a little too late, too little too late. Uh, but we definitely tried. And outside of that, I had some other conversations around race with one of the black students and a couple other white students. And that's the group that helped, uh, helped me push for Martin King Jr. Day to be recognized and, and have that off back in my early days of, of high school and sophomore year.
1: Mm-hmm. And so,
0: yes, to an extent, but never in the full robust way in which I feel like people are having the conversation now.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, makes sense. All right, so moving, um, we'll briefly talk about kind of your work experience in Midland. Um, so just, I feel like I can give you the floor here what your experiences were like in Midland um, and like socializing with colleagues and things like, in managers, um, especially especially managers, kind of way anyway, that dy- dynamic and, you know, digging into that a little bit more. I just kind of want to hear your experience of that.
0: Yeah, I had some, I had some experiences. <laughs> I remember at the Midland, Midland, um, Midland Theater, the NCG Theater, I had one manager in particular, or supervisor rather, who would just make these jokes that he thought were funny like one time every time he was making um, uh, purple cotton candy he'd always call me into the room to make him sit there and sit there and watch him make it and ask me if i liked kool-aid and what was my favorite flavor and things like this and that, that that was really unnerving and and he just would make constant jokes like that and i remember as well and i mean small things like that interactions Saying people can when they go to a dark theater, they can see me, all that kind of stuff, blah blah blah. And then, to a lesser extent, at the H Hotel, I think that was because uh, I think in that sense, I I came off as someone who maybe defied stereotypes, wearing uh, a suit often or right like dress clothes and uh, showing people at the table. And that's in that sense, the, the experiences I had were a little bit more um, come out came off as nice as nice, whereas customers uh, saying like, call me boy or saying that they were so impressed with, with me. And whereas they weren't saying this to other people who were dressed similarly and in the same exact position showing them on the tables. But just the shock of people like, wow, this is just so impressive. Like, I would think you, like, like, what is your story? That kind of stuff. Uh, and so it was, a little, it was a little bit of both. And that didn't necessarily come from management. And I never brought it to management's uh, attention, to be honest, just because I think at that point, I would become conditioned to dealing with it. kind of things myself and you know brushing off choose the battles but definitely an experience working in midland
1: yeah it's interesting you bring that up um because i had also with friends was you know planning on working at a country club for the summer just you know golf with the club or like and or just like the um at the pool and stuff and actually my parents and my older brother told me not to do it they said you can't do it because you're gonna be you know the black the black person bussing around the rich white people at the country club or a place like the H Hotel. So like they actually didn't let me do. It. And at the time I was kind of annoyed about it, but I, I realized now that how I would have been very irritated by that dynamic that would have happened had I taken that job. So in you know hindsight, um, I'm glad I didn't do it. But it's yeah, it's something that definitely has crossed my parents' mind even when I, you know, had even brought up the idea of working at the country club.
0: Yeah, I think that's quite wise. And I think not only for your own safety and mental well being but I don't think it. People work there would benefit from seeing black person clean up after they were catered to them.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. So, also now, um, kind of moving the discussion a little bit more to Midland and your experiences directly. Did you ever feel comfortable enough to like bring up race to talk with friends or neighbors or things like that? Kind of. Did you, I like, I know you You kind of hinted at, you know, keeping most of these conversations within yourself, or at least your family, but did they really ever expand outside of that circle?
0: I think at a very, very surface level.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think things that extended to things you would normally attach to Black people, like, for example, I would, I would question when people would talk about Saginaw and from, uh in ways that were really racialized, or people making fun of my hair, or uh, more of the direct comments or talking about Obama and all these things, things that more that clearly related to the black experience and my own experience,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and it was always reactive. I don't, I don't think up until recently, I really had any proactive conversations about race uh, mm-hmm. in a way that was really examining the way that we look at it and the way we experience it, whether through whiteness or anti-blackness, so and so forth. So not, not in the ways I would have liked. And I think a lot of that also has to my own, from my own understanding and knowledge and coming becoming of self in ways that I can talk about, identify, and, and really have these robust conversations.
1: Mm-hmm. And do you think that's evolved? Like um, just in, like Midland's openness to having these types of conversations or just Midland's overall stance on race? Do you think it's evolved even in the time that you've been away to coming back now and being a little bit more aware of everything?
0: I think it has to an extent. I think a lot of that is due to also – from when a noticeable increase in Black people that have moved in since moved to Midland, or at least I see around Midland since I since I've left, and I think this summer especially has started a kindling of sorts of racial conversations. I don't think we're really got have a full-fledged flame going, a steady flame going, but I some people are more open to it, at least understanding some of the basic terminology and knowledge and the way structural works at large. Mm-hmm. I don't think we're we're fully there yet to have those nuanced conversations as a community, uh, just because I think it's really hard for people to to realize that this community that a lot of people love is not loving to everybody that's here, and mm-hmm. that not everybody here has a positive experience with them, yeah. specifically because of the racial dynamics and the experience of people of different racial backgrounds. And I think that gonna that reckoning is going to continue to happen and I hope. Uh, we can continue to push that but uh marginally marginally it's an it's, it's an improvement it's progress i don't want to deny the progress that has made
1: yeah but,
0: i mean we i don't think of a community we have even still fully recognized like really come to terms with the fact that we had white supremacist rallies here early on the, two, the 2000s and yeah. after obama was elected the guy stood on eastman with uh, a kkk outfit and a, and a rifle you know we haven't really, as a community, talked about these our past fully. I think this is, I mean, that's why I hope this, this interviews will, will start to bring light that we can't just forge towards the future and a progressive community without really examining and picking apart the ways that we have interacted with the community the ways we have failed. Many members, really, really important, influential members of our community and people who maybe aren't important or influential, but just live here and deserve to have a community that, doesn't uh that that they feel comfortable in it and it doesn't feel like an attack on them because of 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 what they look like so i think we've made progress but we have we are are maybe we've taken one step in in a marathon i think
1: yeah yeah yeah, I always get kicked out of Vice, so we see the, you know, the Midland City for Modern Explorers, you know, and I'm always like, let's explore, let's explore the past of Midland, you know, let's, <laughs> let's dig into it, but uh, I don't know if Midland's right for that conversation yet. I want them to be, but we'll see. So that brings me to kind of um, your work with ARM, um, and so, you know, I, as an interviewer, I obviously know what that is, but just a, for the historical records, I guess we can we can discuss a little bit what it is and what we really hope to get out of it. And where where do we think actually we'll, we'll start with that? Where what is ARM and what what do you hope to get out of ARM?
0: Yeah, ARM is a, more or less an education slash advocacy group based in Middle Michigan. And it came to terms with everything that happened in the summer and summer of, of 2020, with the murder of George Floyd and Brianna Taylor and kind of just the racial unrest and the reckoning that happened this early in the summer. And realizing Midland kind of, all I think for me personally, my last four years of reflecting on my Midland experience kind of came to a point and we said, okay, wow, well, now I was in a window of opportunity uh, with the rally that was being organized and helped organize through Women, or women of, of Michigan Action Network. Realized that this is a point where I actually can, I have the language now and I have the platform, in which you can really, really address this uh, in a serious way. And at the time of the rally, I had no intention of, having a, a group to really see this, this work through. Uh, just before the rally, we started passing around this petition to of demands for Midland Public Schools, Early the, our first iteration of demands for Midland Public Schools. And I remember thinking as well, as we were organizing the rally, thinking, okay, wow, I grew up, I now have a lot of, of friends of color from my school and world experiences, and but I also know many Black people in Midland that I was, I was never really friends with, even though I knew who they were and never just had the opportunity to connect. And that I really reflected on that. That was just, just how isolating the experience is being a Black person in Midland from other Black people, because I feel like you're constantly fighting this internal war of trying to, one, take advantage of the opportunities you do have, partially opportunities you have because of race, but also trying to fight back and choose the battles in which you're constantly thrown into these, these racial dynamics and these awful experiences, at least from my experience. And so I remember thinking of, of, of you and your brother in particular, of people I've always known, but... And I was, for some reason, thinking I, I was never really friends with them, even though I've known them for my entire Midland Public Schools experience. I know I, well, we have mutual friends, and I thought it was just so odd and really reflecting on, yeah, just once the isolation that one can experience being when you're below the threshold of a Black community, I think. And so I was really grateful when you you and you and Kofi were excited and, and came to the rally and spoke and realizing from the experience that we needed, that Midland, even though we were no longer, were facing phasing out of a permanent residence in Midland, it would still benefit from having these conversations and kind of a group reflection. And that idea, I remember you and your brother looped in and, and Connor and looped in some other people. We had the early conversations of our, of our really coming together and realizing that what the first step we could do, realizing that we had a marathon in front of us and the rally was a fr- was one step in that. That way we could do is extend the education that we've benefited from outside of Midland and bring it back to Midland. and give people and provide language for, for what's going on here and across the country and really look at concrete steps in which you can do to address this beyond just education. And that's where the, the advocacy comes in. And so that's I think that that birth of ARM really encapsulates what I think hope, the aim of ARM is to be one, to break down these barriers of isolation for people of color, communities of color, provide a platform for people to kind of discuss their experiences and, and educate others and others to learn, but also to, a platform for advocacy for, for real sustained change. And I think ARM is really going to be, is, is the first group of its, of its kind in this space, in Midland. and I think it's, it's going to take a lot of work and groundwork that's going to be done that may seem uh, intuitive to to the people in our group, but I really do hope that it becomes an a institution in the community. And opens the door for more organizations, more people to do important work and to push Midland one step further at a time in this marathon that is uh, honestly equity and equality.
1: Yeah, yeah. I really like that. And I think that conversation aspect is so important because you talked about the isolation. I think as I was reflecting this summer, it was so deeply isolating to be a Black person um, in Midland Public Schools. And I, I never. As I reflected the summer, I realized I suppressed my blackness so much for the benefit of my white peers. Mm-hmm. And that in itself is so, so incredibly isolating to think about. And you know, I I didn't bring up these conversations. I I made jokes about my blackness all the time just to make my white folks like peers comfortable. Yep. And and I'm and it's so, so crazy to think about how much I was doing to make other people comfortable. And they were doing nothing to make me comfortable, you know, and it was and so and that experience is so universal to the people of color going through middle public schools but there was no conversation happening for you know like you were saying like between other black folks um i knew you completely like i'm sure we could have had great conversations at the time but we, like, we just never connected hmm. and i think part of us that because you know i was afraid to what it might look like for you know three black people are getting together like oh what are they up to kind of thing you know so it's like again like in that, like part of the reason why we like why we may never have even been friends is because like there wasn't space for like three black people to come together in like a place like Middle Michigan. Like it would have been like people would have turned an eye to it, you know. So I wonder if that's part of the reason why, but it's just yeah, I think that I'm really glad conversations are happening now because I would I feel really I feel really, really bad for people who are going through it because I know what it's like. And I want them to have an outlet to be able to express themselves and I want them not even just have the outlet, but to have conversations we started and not have it always just be on them to have those
0: conversations. I agree. I think I think you hit on a really important point. For us at the time, growing up in Midland, and I, I think it's different now. I hope it's different now. But I think we were conditioned so much to constantly give space to others and accommodate and, and make ourselves smaller to make other people feel comfortable in their own space. And I think for us to have been friends and connected at that time would have demanded for us to take space, which I don't think we were really ever, we weren't ready for that we were ready to demand that people see us for us and take space for ourselves and reclaim some of our own selves. Claim our claim ourselves really uh, in that capacity. So I think I think you're 100 right. It's, I think that's a really good point. Yeah,
1: yeah, interesting. So just moving on, what are your kind of? Um, I know you have a younger brother. Um, is he is he in London public schools or still in Saginaw public schools
0: now? He uh, started off at Hanley in uh, public schools and then he came over to um in public schools when they finished the stem school okay because mm-hmm. i think he got both him and my parents got tired of the, the bus early bus commute yeah
1: <laughs> been there done that That was not a <laughs> grind. so what do you think his experiences with race are and how do you think um they have differed from your experiences mm. are you optimistic with the changes that have happened or are you are you still frightful that your brother will have a similar experience to you
0: yeah, that's a good question. And that's something I actually was just talking to my mother about this morning uh, because of multiple things. So I'm reminded early on, before he was even in school, he had, so my mother had, a, used to have a daycare. And so a few kids around his age would always be in the house and he became really good friends with a couple of them. And I remember one day he was crying and we couldn't get him to stop crying. He was crying for at least 30, 30 minutes, an hour. And finally, we, he came to a point where he could talk and mom asked him, why are you crying out of nowhere? And he said, because he wished that he was white and that he could be seen like, seen like everybody else. So I don't really know what, what that, what experience catalyzed that emotion um, and what was said or, or what got the thought process going. Uh, but my mom really, I uh, got my mom, my parents really to reflect on what, how they raised us and how they could be more intentional about raising my little brother. And I think that's been a constant theme throughout his experience growing up, I think thankfully. I'm glad you want you want hopefully want the same experiences I had. I think a lot of that's due to people black people have moved in. We he's had the fortunate experience of having black kids his age in the neighborhood and and people we can hang out with and and come together and just have a good time and not have to be about talking about race and racial discourse, but really just see people like him have having a good time through sports or through through school. So that's been really cool for him. I think also the the establishment of Jack and Jill, since I've graduated, has been really beneficial for him to have a non-athletic, non-academic space, but it was a pure social space for him and people around his age and for parents of those kids to come together and speak about race at some points, um, but more so to foster the intellectual curiosity and the social dynamics of, of this group of, of Black people and really foster a Black community from a young age all the way through adulthood, parents. I think that has really made a big difference in the way he sees himself and the way that he sees Midland for the better. And I'm, I'm glad that he has experiences. I don't think, I think Midland still has a long way to go when it comes to really robust equal and equitable experience for Black young Black people here growing up here. But seeing my little brother experience and the intentionality of my parents in curating a more comfortable and ex- more comfortable and really empowering experience for other little brother has made a big, big difference. Uh, it gives me hope for what Midland can be, brought back to the point where it doesn't have to be come from parents who have to go the extra mile to make sure that their, 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 their kids have this space, but something that's inherent in the community, in the, not just the Black community in Midland, but the Midland community and making sure that people from all racial backgrounds are are fostered and empowered in this way. Mm-hmm.
1: Great. And so winding, winding down, um, I just want to ask one more question before um, I also just leave the floor open to to let you say kind of whatever lingering thoughts you may have, but just be honest, do you think you're over your, like we're in over our heads kind of with arms sometimes, do you think it's so deeply ingrained that things can't change in Midland, or do you think we can actually get to a point, you know, of de- decent change for the future in Midland?
0: Some, honestly, sometimes I do. Sometimes I think about the things that have happened, to happened in Midland public schools, the most recent incident of of a student who uh, got off or was, was able to get away with using the white power sign throughout school without punishment. And in school, the MPS really backing down, um, Michael Ashara really backing down and thinking, what else, what else can we do, really? When the, the voices of authority say no to progress or at least feign progress and do nothing, kind of feeling at a loss for, all right, so what does what is, a what is community do in that? And it's something we're, we're, we're thinking through and working through. But I think I'm I'm really reminded of the rally, and I, I honestly, because sometimes it makes me emotional. Just thinking back to seeing three thousand, like around three thousand people in the streets of Midland on the streets, shouting Black Lives Matter. That's still I like, cried even, at the
1: rally. I mean, when I spoke, I cried. I was like, I never thought I would see Midland do this. Never.
0: When you when you when you said that, it, it really resonated with me because I didn't even think about that. What a younger me would have would have thought. Exactly. And just, the way we were able to come together so quickly and capitalize on momentum is really, it was, it, it's beyond, it's beyond that was beyond my own imagination. Mm-hmm. As low of a bar as that was, it, it, I think it, it really was. And so I think when I remember that, I try to remember that, I try to keep in mind that when I do feel this way is, I'd like to think is also beyond my imagination. And it really is these one small steps at a time, these, these small decisions that I think will really bring substantial change and like I, like I mentioned earlier, I, I think it'll be important for us as a group to keep in mind the work we have in front of us and that we're, this is uh this is by setting up shop here in Midland and becoming an institution in Midland, this is gonna be years, if not a generation of work. Uh, and it, it may not be us that, that sees it through. I, I don't, honestly, I don't think it will be. Yeah. But the fact is that we are laying the groundwork in the foundation and really getting the early seeds for a robust and really progressive and, and open-minded community, an empowering community for all of its residents, and that's going to that's going to take the basics of educating people, educating people on systemic racism. Right? We can't. We're not going to be at this point of having these nuanced conversations, and that can be really frustrating personally. Uh, but I think if, if we're patient and taking the time to patient and meeting people where they are, but also pushing people where they are. Um, yeah. I think we will be able to make a difference. So yes, I do feel like we're over sometimes overwhelmed and feel like we're over our heads. But I think back of the incredible group that we're working with, and what we've done so far, at least the awareness we brought, I am really feel a lot of hope and gratitude and imagination for what, what could be possible. If I thought a rally was impossible before, what's the next impossible thing that we can push towards? Yeah, I, I honestly, I think I don't. I don't I've become maybe i don't know if you noticed on um, the meetings more recently i've become a little more sentimental just cuz realizing how incredible each of the people involved in arm is and the fact is that the majority of us aren't residents of midland anymore and we owe nothing to this community
1: mm-hmm. i don't i don't
0: think i think people would make that argument but just the the pure love and of of i think of each other and of some the many good things that happen in midland really are pushing to see it grow and be better and that that really that genuinely inspires me and that keeps me I think going and I think arm keeps arm going.
1: Yeah that's good you say that. Yeah I definitely I think actually arm was a good step for me because when I left Midland I was still done with it. I was like forget it. I'm done. I want nothing to do this place. I'm only coming home. For when my, when I see my parents, seeing my parents have trying to convince them to move, I was like, I'm done with this place. But it's a weird tie. I don't know, weird connection that it just they call it the Midland Bowl for and it it always there's some adherence to it that you kind of have that you that makes you come back. And I'm glad we're doing it. And then, you know, yes, the similar point, I think just we think of how tired we are. Um, but like in this project, we're interviewing people who moved to Midland in 1970s, and I cannot imagine like how tired <laughs> they are. Um so it puts things in perspective, you know, like it's like that is you know, three of my lifetimes, you know, ago, like they moved to Midland. And, you know, I'm also interested in just, you know, gaining perspective for this project too, because yeah, there's, they've paved the way. Now we, you know, we're transitioning, try to pave the way for the next people. And hopefully at a certain point, people are going to have to keep on paving the way for other people. And it will just be where we want it. We'll be, we'll reach the promised land <laughs> that you can say, but yeah, I don't know. Do you, I just want to leave the floor open for any other comments you want to leave and, um, but also thank you for your time today too.
0: I think you're right. I think you're right, especially when it comes to people who have come before us. I mean, we're not the first people to have these conversations in Midland, first black people even. And I think projects of this are really important to gather that information and the learnings and stuff. So we don't have to re- keep reinventing the wheel and reinventing the conversation, especially when that ability to do that becomes less and less each year as one people move away from Midland and then also the, the old Midland population, black Midland population uh, will eventually die off here. And so taking that institutional knowledge and Really coming together and putting it all in one spot so we continue to educate people us ourselves and people who are coming behind us as well everything i just want to echo what you said at that point yeah. i think that's it's a really powerful thing to think about the paving the way for the people and i hope that's what i hope that's what we've done i try to think back and i hope that we've done some good here and hope we continue to do some good we're not gonna do everything perfect I haven't done everything perfect but i think in this case it's it's, it's important to at least try and yeah. i'm grateful for. The conversation
1: yeah no, thank you jonathan all right well stay safe be well um thank you again for this and we're excited to see where where the kind of what gets extracted from here and what what we can see in the community and i'm sure this will be long in the Midland historical yeah. book so thank you so much thank you see you later bye